On today's show, we're going to continue our discussion about becoming an exceptional service technician. Today, we're going to talk about step three, training, training, and more training. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there and Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Now, last week we began the discussion of the risk process, RISC. We talked a lot about building the relationship last week. If you haven't watched that, I want you to go back and watch it because this thing all fits together sequentially. Uh, once you understand what the relationship building process is all about and how to do it, you're going to move into the investigation stage, right? Now, this is really important because this is where you get all the problems that your homeowner has that you're going to solve. Here's the reality. Your homeowners, like all people, we tend to minimize the scope of our problems, right? Think about it for a second. If you have a problem with your car and you take it to the shop to get the brakes fixed uh, and you're walking out of the shop and the, and the mechanic says, hey, I noticed that your, you know, your shocks are always also going bad. You want me to fix those you know, today while you're here? Odds are you're going to say, no, don't worry about it. Why? Because you know it's going to cost more money, right? That's the reality. Problems cost money to fix. So what happens is that when your homeowner has a problem with their furnace, they're going to put blinders on, and they're going to focus on that furnace and getting that furnace fixed. Now, they may completely be oblivious to the fact their air conditioner system's going out, or the whole system may be inefficient, or there's horrible airflow in the house. There's horrible indoor air quality in the house, right? They'll block all these things out. Your job is to uncover those problems because you get compensated in this business based on the number of problems you solve. The more problems you solve, the higher the ticket, the more money you make. Now listen, this is not about fixing problems that don't exist. This is about fixing legitimate problems that your homeowner has that they may not be aware of. Your job is to uncover those problems. That's what the investigation stage is all around. Now the investigation stage is kind of, you know, kind of twofold. Number one, as you're doing your maintenance or your repair, whatever the situation is, you're going to be taking note of everything you notice in and around what you're doing, right? So you're going to notice things as you're working on the system, as you're looking around the house, the ductwork, et cetera, insulation, you're going to notice certain problems. Phase two of the investigation is actually going through kind of a homeowner survey, a comfort survey, and asking specific questions about efficiency, and airflow, and indoor air quality, all those types of things, noise, all those you know, situations and problems that we are well equipped as HVAC contractors to repair and to fix and to make better for the homeowner. So to do that, you have to engage in the investigation process. You got to ask specific questions, pay attention, right? One of the things we always talk about is uh, kind of the shoulder doc. I'm going to show you that video a little bit later. But if you had a problem with your shoulder and your doctor fixed the shoulder but ignored a heart attack, you wouldn't be very happy with him, right? Well, when you walk in the house and you're looking at the basic problem, the shoulder problem, don't ignore the heart attacks. There's going to be problems around the house that your homeowner is oblivious to. Either intentionally or unintentionally, they're kind of blocking them out. So what you have to do is to uncover these problems. You have to look for these problems and bring them to the awareness of your homeowner. That's what the investigation stage is all about. Asking questions about their comfort, about the efficiency, about their electric bills, about airflow, all these various factors in uh, and around the house. Now listen, when you ask a question to your homeowner, it's not uncommon that they will deny they have the problem. Why? Because they know to fix it's going to be expensive. So for example, you may ask your homeowner, you know, do you have any problems with, with a noisy system? 
No, 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 it's just fine, right? Why? Well, for them, it's been that way for 20 years. They don't even know a new system could be quieter, right? So it's up to us to do some more probing. You could say something like, well, now, Mr. Homeowner, when you're watching TV and the system comes on, do you find yourself cranking up the, the volume of the television? Oh, yeah, that does happen. Well, maybe there is a problem with noise, right? Or maybe, Mr. Homeowner, when you're out back doing a summer barbecue and the, and, and the outdoor unit kicks on, do you have to move the conversation away from that? Oh, as a matter of fact, you do. Okay, well, maybe there is a noise problem. So you may have to probe. One of my favorites is, you know, ask people about indoor air quality. Anybody with allergies, indoor air quality, that problems, they'll say, no, 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 everybody's fine. And then I'll just say, so you don't have like a cabinet full of, uh, you know, Sudafed and sinus stuff or whatever, you know, uh, allergy, you know, Allegra, whatever in your, in your cabinet, medicine cabinet. Oh, yeah, we got that stuff. Well, somebody then is suffering from allergies, right? So people will deny these problems. It's up to you to bring them to your attention. Right? Oh, well, you, so don't you have Allegra? Don't you have Sudafed? Yes. Well, you got an allergy problem. Don't you have to turn the TV up? Yeah. Well, then you got a noise problem. So you may have to bring these things to the attention of your homeowner, right? You know what the symptoms are sometimes before they do. So make sure that you're going through the investigation stage, ask the questions, be very thorough around you know, the house, looking for problems, and at the end, you're going to bring those problems to the attention of your homeowner, and you're going to ask for permission to solve them. If you solve those problems, you're going to have higher tickets. Not because of high pressure, not because of selling people stuff they don't need, but because you're taking the time to extend yourself emotionally and professionally and finding out all the problems that your homeowner has. When you find those problems, you can offer solutions. That's how you drive a higher, you drive a higher average ticket. Now, as I mentioned earlier, if you did not watch the relationship building uh, training last week, go back and watch that. Also, if you're a member, you should be into all these trainings, going through the core sales training, the core service tech tra uh, training. If you're not a member, fill out the form on the right, the left, top, bottom, wherever it is here on this page, and you're going to get some free training, free temporary access, so you can see if the program is a good fit for you and your company. I bet you it will be. Now, last week, we shared a brief video of Gary Ellis talking about fixing the customer before you fix the problem. I want to pick up on that theme and bring in Gary for a little more discussion on that. So here's the four topics Gary's going to discuss. First and foremost, you know, be assertive without being pushy, obnoxious. You got to be assertive. He's going to talk about telling me more, right? Ask the, tell me more, Mr. Homeowner, right? Uh, fixing the customer on the front end so you can have more success on the back end. And lastly, he's going to talk about the doctor analogy, right? So pay attention and think about what it takes to fix the customer before you fix the problem. So third on that list, be ask assertive. Ask assertive is something that's a style that a lot of technicians probably already have as part of their social style. But if, you're, if you understand what that means, it means that you don't want to tell a customer uh, about what you're going to do yet. You want to ask first and you want to draw the customer out. Your entire goal is to actually be able to have the customer do the talking more than you and being ask assertive is how you do that. Most people will tell you that if they're talking about their problem or they're telling you their side of the story or they're telling you about themselves, then that actually makes them feel like you're a better relationship for them because most people actually do like to talk about themselves. They like to talk about their kids. They like to talk about their hobbies. They're going to want to tell you about the problem. Um, they may not know exactly what the problem is, but they'll have lots of information to give to you, and your job is to continue to draw it out that actually makes them feel good about you as a relationship. So in this case, as a service technician, being ask assertive just means put your personality on hold, put your willingness to sell something on hold, and the communication model is better served by you saying, well, tell me more. Tell me about the problem. Uh, tell me if there are any other problems. Is there anything else I need to know? 
So we want to ask high-gain questions, open-ended, grab the information, targeted questions that are not yes or no, grab the information, and we keep doing that on an ask-assertive level. That's the sales process at work. What that does is not only demonstrate more empathy, but you're also probably going to get more information later if we actually do want to sell something to somebody or we want to present an option. You have way more information than if you're just going about your business. And I think the mistake that we make in the service industry is we don't realize that um, having the information and spending a little more time fixing the customer on the front end of the call actually solves a lot of the sales problems on the back end of the call. The opportunities emerge from the problems and the pain points at the front end. So a lot of technicians are about, well, I've got 9, 10, 12, 15, 20 stacked calls on the dispatch board. I know that. And so I'm going to run through this call, and my job is to get through the call. So I'd like you to go back and revisit the video, the role of the technician. What's the job? What's the role? What are you supposed to be doing? Your role is actually to deliver an exceptional brand experience. So you go back and visit that video, and you'll see what we're talking about there. So if you're going to do that, um, getting through the call quickly is not the answer to the problem. Getting through the customer relationship and expanding that opportunity so that you identify what's going on in the customer's mind how they feel and fixing the client's relationship with the, the problem with the equipment and also delivering a brand experience. Once I sit down with a doctor, for example, um, and they go through the process very quickly, I'm thinking, well, gosh, I don't really feel like um, they did a thorough job of examining me or whether or not he really cared about me. He was, you know, he felt like he was rushed. Um, other examples are, you know, I've sat down with the doctor before, especially with my dad's uh, problems with cancer. And, you know, the, the specialist is like, I'm here for you, and I want to answer your questions. I have a few questions first. Let's make sure we go through this. We'll take as much time as we need to make sure you feel good. That's exactly what you want to hear from your doctor, because whether it's two minutes or 20 minutes, um, you don't feel rushed, and you feel like that that person is there specifically for you, and there's a big emotional thing going on when somebody is sick or ill. So it's not like the patient in that situation, or in our case, the customer. They're not in a good spot. So us sort of recognizing that and spending the quality time by asking questions and being ask assertive is a good example of how you build a trust and a relationship so that later, once we come back on the debrief and we explain what happened and how it occurred, Maintenance becomes something that the customer probably says, yeah, I think that sounds like a pretty good idea because you've built that level of trust. Now, in that video clip, Gary was talking about the analogy of the doctor. Well, I mentioned to you earlier another doctor analogy I like to use, and that's the shoulder doctor analogy, which illustrates the problem of focusing on one problem and not paying attention to the larger problems. Take a quick look at the video and stop and think about how this might apply to your career and what you do in the house every single day. Residential HVAC service technicians spend a lot of time in places like this. Funny thing is, on their way through mechanical rooms to get here, they walk past thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars in additional repairs and accessory sales. Why do they do it? Because they have blinders on and they just don't see the opportunities. 
Imagine this scenario. Suppose you had a problem with your shoulder. You go to the doctor, he takes an x-ray of your shoulder, he gives you some kind of shot, you're good as new. The crazy thing is though, the day after they fix your shoulder, you have a massive heart attack. It almost kills you. They rush you off to ICU, you're in ICU for weeks and weeks, you can't work, your medical bills go to the ceiling, your family's all upset. I mean, it's really, really major trauma. It turns your whole life upside down. A couple of months in the ICU, you see the shoulder doctor walking down the hallway. You lean over and you say, hey, shoulder doc, what are you doing? He looks in the ICU, he sees you laid there on the monitors and, and all the machinery, and he looks at you and he says, what happened to you? And you say, doc, it's the craziest thing. The day after you fixed my shoulder, I have a massive heart attack. It almost killed me. The shoulder doctor looks at you and says, well, I'm not surprised. I thought you were gonna have a heart attack the day you were in my office. And you say, what, you knew I was gonna have a heart attack? The shoulder doctor says, yeah, your heart was skipping beats, it was bouncing all over the place. I thought it was gonna explode right there in my office. You turn to the doctor and you say, doc, why didn't you tell me I was fixing to have a heart attack? The shoulder doctor looks at you and says, hey pal, you came to see me about your shoulder. How would you feel about your doctor if he fixed your shoulder and ignored your heart attack? You wouldn't like it very much, would you? Because we have an expectation that the professionals in our lives, if they find out about additional problems, they bring them to our attention. But you know what? Our service technicians are doing that every day. They go in with a laser focus to fix the air conditioner or furnace, but they ignore the heart attack going on with the indoor air quality or with the water heater. Why do they do that? Well, because they don't have the training to take advantage of those opportunities. And why don't they have the training? Well, because in most cases, it's too expensive and it just doesn't work. But we've fixed that. We've developed programs that are super convenient and affordable. And we've done that through a powerful online platform. So as I've been discussing, this is about the investigation stage, about asking questions, right? Questions, questions, more questions. That's how you uncover the problems. Uh, I want to share another clip from Gary Ellis with you about how to really get good at this questioning process. How do you ask good questions? How do you get good at it? So in this video, Gary is going to talk about focusing on the customer's agenda, not trying to sell them too soon, using questions to connect with the customer, earning the right to advance to the next stage, and remember, you are in control of the process. Be a professional. All right, so the beauty of questioning is that we actually lead the sales process and we lead our client based on the idea of us asking questions. So he or she who is asking the questions is in control of the sales process. So I'm going to take you back to the fundamentals in the original sales discussion that we had and I'll break down the focus points. So the first of those focus points is number one, we always want to focus on the customer's agenda. If, it's a, if I'm using the word I, or it's me, or our company, or we're talking about things in the manner where we're really focusing on our interests, then the customer is going to feel like we're actually selling them something. And while we are technically in the sales process and we are selling them something, the way we're selling them something does matter and it has a huge outcome on whether or not the customer feels the trust in the brand experience. So we're always going to stay focused on the customer and the customer's agenda. And the way we do that is we ask questions. When I'm asking you questions like, hey, what's your name? You're going to give me the answer to that question. And that makes you actually feel good because if I'm listening well, which is a different skill set, then you're really tuned into the idea that it's all about you and it's not about me because I'm asking questions and learning about your needs, wants, and desires, your interests, and where you would like to go. The second part of this discussion is you have to earn the right to advance. Now, one of the problems that salespeople have 
and especially people that are being trained to sell or people that have a skill set where they're actually good at communications, is they begin to use that skill set to their advantage but to the detriment of the client. So they begin to aggressively approach the process of asking questions to get the customer to give them feedback. And the problem with doing that is you don't have permission to ask me questions. How old are you, Gary? Well, I mean, that seems like an okay question, but, and I'll answer it for you, but if you're asking that to somebody and they didn't want to answer the question, you actually didn't earn the right to advance the sale. So part of what we want to do in the sales process and part of the technique of asking great questions and becoming a great skill set is for you to understand that you do not have the right to ask those questions. The more you train your mind and the more you train yourself as a service technician to understand that you need to ask permission to ask those questions. It's what we call earning the right to advance. Would it be okay with you if I actually asked you a few questions about your total comfort system? Now, that doesn't seem like that, that is that hard, except that if you haven't trained yourself discipline-wise to be patient, to have your quiet mind, and to be in what we call a conscious, competent control of you know, the process, a professional is in control of the process. So I can say, would it be okay, Mrs. Jones, if I actually asked you a few questions about your home and your total comfort system? And, the, and that's a yes or a no question, so we're going to talk about that later. Those are transition questions that get us into the right place. But the answer is inevitably going to be, well, sure. And so what we've done is we've earned the right to advance the sale at that point. Now, Mrs. Jones is going to feel good about that, and she's going to answer the questions that I ask her because she's given me permission to ask those questions. The style of questions that you ask and the way that you ask those questions, including your voice intonation, your body language, your eye contact, your skill set is based in depth of practice. Meaning that if I just put you out there and say, okay, go ask some questions, you'll go out there and you'll do it because you're a good guy or a good girl and you want to do the right thing for your company. And so you'll ask those questions. But a true professional doesn't do it that way. A true professional understands that there is a process of asking questions. And so I'm going to introduce that process to you now. Now, this whole conversation about questions and investigation is super, super important. So I want to share another video with you from Gary Ellis about three types of questions, right? the high gain questions, targeted questions, and closed-ended questions because there's different types for different situations. You got to get all aspects of the sales process working for you. That's Gary's point. So take a quick look at this short video and make sure you're asking all the right types of questions at the right time. There's basically three types of questions. Just let's start with that. The first question is what we call a high gain question. Now, a high gain question is defined by being open-ended. And when I say open-ended, that means you cannot say yes or no. So it's high gain for a reason, because the information that is exchanged when the person, Mrs. Jones, is now answering the question is high gain. It gives us a lot of insight into what is actually happening. It gives us insight into their emotional state, their economic state, and the physical state of the total comfort system or accessories. So high gain by definition means open-ended, okay? And it means typically that the customer actually has to think, meaning that they have to process. And the beauty of this is when I make you process information, you actually feel good about our relationship. I've engaged you in a manner that makes you think about something that's important to you, 
you actually have to think through what is important to you. That's very specific information that's coming to me that's high gain. And then I'm going to be able to listen through the process of what we call checking and confirming. <clears throat> that's a different skill set again, different video, different skill. But it's still necessary for you to take the next step by involving the customer we're going to follow the next questioning procedure. We're going to then target those questions. Once you've told me the first question and you've given me the high gain information, not only do you feel good about our emotional relationship and how I'm treating you as a prospective you know, customer, what we're going to do is you're giving me information that allows me to ask the next question, a targeted question. So let's go back and let's talk about what an example of a high gain question is. And then let's talk about how we would flow into a targeted question. So a high gain question for a technician might be, tell me about how your total comfort system is performing. Now, I don't get up in the morning and think, well, my total comfort system has got six comfort components, and they're all humming along just beautifully. That's not how I get up in the morning. I mean, maybe that's how we're getting up in the morning in the service world, but that's not how I do it. And I'm an HVAC plumbing geek. So it's going to make me think. And if you think through the structure of the question, it's predetermined, those words are chosen carefully, because tell me how your total comfort system is operating or how it's performing is an open-ended thinking process question. Now, the customer might say, fine, okay? Or the customer might say, well, I don't understand. Or they might say, well, it's doing okay. I mean, there's a couple of things I might you know, uh, like to see differently. And so it doesn't really matter how they answer the question. It matters that you, at this point, are listening, and you are listening intently through the process of your next sequence of questions. So if we just follow that role play along and you say, well, um, why don't you tell me more? You said there's a couple things that you might want to see changed or have it operate differently. Uh, tell me about those things. So that is a targeted question that is designed specifically from the follow-up of what the customer actually processed in the high gain. So who's in control of the sales process here? 100% I am. I'm asking the questions. Not only am I in control of the process, but I'm focused on your agenda, and I've earned the right to advance, and you like me. So I've got all aspects of the sales process working in my favor right now. I'm building a level of trust, credibility, and when I can create trust, credibility, and likability, which is part of the sales discussion later, Likeability plus credibility equals trust. That's, a, that's an equation that we talk about often. What I'm doing is I'm putting the customer in a position to give me information that's going to allow me to create options, solutions, recommendations, repair versus replace conversations, all the stuff that we really care about from a selfish point of view, the stuff that's on our agenda, which is really based on the principle that we're going to get through to those places because we're actually engaging the customer based on their experiences. So folks, that's a lot of information about questions and investigation, but you should you know, kind of take away from this that if we're going to spend 30 minutes talking about it, it must be really important, right? And it really, really is to understand the nature of your customer's problems. So build a relationship, investigate the problems. Next week, we're going to be talking about selling your company and solving those problems, right? Now that you found the problems, you have the relationship, now you've got to sell the solutions to those problems, right? That's how we build this very simple process that we're going to go over. So be sure and focus relationship, focus on investigation, ask the questions, ask three different types of questions, and make sure you understand the problems so you can move on to the next phase, which is solving the problems and offering your solutions.
So as always, you guys have submitted some really cool questions. Uh, we had a, a couple of great ones come in last week. And Gary Ellis is going to deal with the first one. What's a fair wage to offer a technician? Now, this clip is from when I asked the experts call we do every other Monday. If you're not in on that call, you should be paying attention. But what's a fair wage to pay a technician? Mr. Gary Ellis. Yeah, the uh, technician pay is a common question. I think the answer to that is the fair wage is based on what they are able to produce. I, I don't think that there's a specific number that you should attach to it. There's probably a base wage that you want to establish for each particular position. Call that a maintenance tech one, maintenance tech two, maintenance tech three, maintenance tech four, service tech one through service tech four. Uh, so you might have a floor against that, but I think what you want to establish is a runway for the technician based on productivity and how they're producing gross profit dollars per hour for the company, uh, for the service department. So I don't think that there's there should be a cap on that. Uh, in other words, um, the, the, the older the employee has been with a company sometimes, the, uh, oftentimes what we do is we say, oh, well, you've been with the company uh, for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or whatever it's been. Therefore, you deserve something. Uh, a newer person comes in who might be very productive and, and they're not able to earn because that is the culture of the business. I think you want to flip that around as well. You, uh, you certainly want to incent people from the standpoint of improving you know, their, their term with the company. And if they've done well, you want to increase that uh, lowest base wage uh, and maybe even some benefits, uh, status, uh, you know, mentoring relationships, things along those lines. But I don't think you should penalize people because they're newer with the company if they're performers. So I, I think what you want is a combination of a floor with some sort of a productivity system. And I think that's the approach. So. One of the most common questions we get on our Ask the Experts call is around marketing and marketing budgets. Uh, Drew Cameron is going to handle the next question. And this is about decreasing advertising dollars over time to accommodate for club memberships, right? If, if you get more club memberships, uh, theoretically, you should be able to spend less on marketing, right? This is very true, right? A lot of big companies I know have 10, 20, 30,000 service agreements, and you know they have access to those customers without spending a dime on marketing each and every year. So Drew Cameron is going to talk about decreasing marketing as you increase your service-based customers. Well, you know, it's a it's an interesting question the way that it's phrased. You know, can, you know, especially the second part. I understand, obviously, wanting to increase the maintenance agreements um, to increase the the number of tune-ups that we have uh, to fill in the shoulder seasons, and that certainly makes sense. Uh, but the second part of that, you know, the actual the actual question: Can we expect to see our overall advertising dollars spent to decrease over time? Well, that's that's number one, a question of choice. Um, could you theoretically? Should you be able to? Yes, if you've increase the amount of service calls or maintenance calls um, you then and you have techs that are trained to be able to create opportunity and create revenue off of those and uh, create uh, bundled repairs maybe or uh, IAQ leads or home performance leads generator leads water heater leads uh, and of course HVAC leads depending on what you do as a scope of work then theoretically yes you would be increasing your revenue and therefore hopefully you shouldn't have to spend as much on your advertising but you may want to say, hey, you know what? Everything's flowing so well. I'm, I may want to grow and keep the keep the you know the advertising money flowing as well as what I'm getting off of my my tech lead. So that's again, I think more of a question of choice. Um, and then of course, obviously, what you spend uh, is going to be a percentage of revenue. And so hopefully, theoretically, if revenue is increasing, then therefore the amount that you would spend 
uh, you know, should go down as a percentage of that, you know, that revenue. Uh, but it's most important, I think, like I said, to it's not just increasing the maintenance agreements being sold. It's increasing, I think, your tech's abilities to provide a great service experience so that when they're out there, they can bundle repairs and solutions uh, on future maintenance and repair calls, uh, selling additional uh, enhancements, if you will, selling replacement systems, and of course, you know, generating those leads. Uh, and then you can also remarket those leads if you will. And so now you, you're thinking, okay, well now I've got these people in my database. I may want to remarket them. For example, right now, uh, all of our clients are running a, uh, in fact, our most aggressive direct mail campaign that we run every year. And we run it January, typically through March, uh, sometimes into April. And, and so therefore, even though we have a lot of service agreement customers in those clients, um, that's who we're going after. And so, yes, we would actually increase our direct mail campaign to our customer base at this point in time to go after that low-hanging fruit of people who would look to replace their system at this point in time based on the added incentives and payment opportunities there. Um, because these are obviously going to be your best leads. Your own customers are your best leads. So you certainly want to make sure that you do communicate with them. You also want to maybe put them into your newsletter program and uh, tap them to create referrals and make sure they're uh, re, uh, full, uh, aware, fully aware of your referral rewards program uh, to the point where, you know, we pay $100 per lead that runs. And then after a few leads, uh, we'll, we'll give an iPad. And after, let, let, let's say, three leads, after six leads, you get a flat screen television. And after 10 leads, uh, again, these are people who are buying systems, if you will. And after 10 leads, I'll give $10,000 back to a customer. Uh, that'll basically give them almost, you know, their system for free. If they bought their system from me and referred 10 other people uh, to me who all bought systems, um, I'm going to take the money out of my marketing budget and I'm going to invest it into my customers. And so it's an aggressive uh, referral rewards program and it beats spending money out into the, the mass media because the return on that investment is better because referrals tend to spend more money than anybody else through the, the marketing and close it at a, at a better clip. So that's, those would be the thoughts that I would have. And, and whether or not that, that lowers your expenditure uh, and percentage of expenditure, that's going to be a matter of personal preference. Theoretically, yes, it should because you've got more of a captive audience. And so over time, you should be able to lower that. Um, and so just as a guideline, uh, with my clients over time, what we typically start out doing is we're about 10 to 12% of the, the revenue, residential revenue. Uh, goes towards marketing, and after a few years of, of growing that agreement base, we can usually get them down into that six to eight range. Um, but much below that, I don't know how you're effective at your marketing budget if you're much below that, given all the things that are out there vying for people's attention today, uh, especially with uh, digital media becoming a, as nuanced and, and niched and as expensive as it's getting. So uh, I, I would caution you. Uh, by going below 6% on the marketing. Well, folks, we want to thank you for joining us this week and be sure engage specifically and intentionally in the investigation stage by asking questions and questions and questions. Gary talked about three different types of questions, right? Use those in various you know, situations, wherever they're relevant. The key thing is you have to identify the problems. So <coughs> five, four. The key thing is you have to identify the problems so you can go to the next phase, which we're going to talk about next week, which is to solve those problems. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.